to the Money Morning Pastor. This podcast is brought to you by partnership with Missio Alliance and Kairos Partnerships. So, JR, we're here in your office, and one of my favorite segments is crap around JR's office today. <laughs> and we're about to hit the bowl. Oh, you better explain that, Doug. Yeah. So, uh, JR, there's this really interesting bowl that you have, and it looks like it's been shattered, cracked, and a bunch of things, but there's this really pretty gold paint. Uh, all over it. And so tell us about this. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, in, uh, the book that I wrote fail finding hope and grace in the gift of ministry failure. Uh, I talk about this Japanese art form called Wabi Sabi, which even if you don't like the art form, just saying it's really fun. It does. Wabi Sabi, right. It sounds so made up and fake. (laughs) And, uh, in fact, if you're listening right now, just go ahead, wherever you are, just say it out loud. Wabi Sabi. It's so fun. (laughs) You can't do it without smiling. It's so fun. But this Japanese art form of Wabi Sabi is this bowl that we have in front of us. And anytime I teach a group of pastors, I, I often talk about wabi-sabi because there's so much spiritual significance to this. Oftentimes, if, if we had, let's say, a, a lamp, um, a porcelain lamp or a glass lamp in the corner, corner of our house, we, uh, and, it, and it breaks, what we might do is take clear uh, super glue or Gorilla Glue, and we would find all the pieces, and we'd want to make sure we put it all to, back together in the glue, and we couldn't see any of the cracks. And then if there was a crack, we'd turn that crack toward the corner of the wall so that no one would see it, and it would look like it's perfect. That's sort of our American idea of how we like fix broken things. But wabi-sabi, this Japanese form, is the complete opposite. So they will intentionally break things like bowls or pottery or things like that, and then they will take gold flakes and they will actually mix it in with the glue so that you see it more. And then they will paint the bowl or the whatever it is, the, the, the porcelain vase or whatever back together and highlight the cracks, not hide them, but actually emphasize them and bring more attention to them by seeing the gold painted in the cracks. So if, you, if you're having a hard time picturing this, just go on to Google and type in wabi-sabi, W-A-B-I-S-A-B-I, wabi-sabi, and you'll see examples of this. And I mentioned this. I was speaking at the Apprentice Institute at Friends University uh, in their spiritual formation master's class. And I just put a slide up about wabi-sabi and I said, oh man, I love this idea of wabi-sabi. There's so much spiritual uh, significance and symbolism in this. And one of the students in the class for that week heard me say that. And she came up to me later and she said, my husband and I would like to buy you a wabi-sabi bowl. And I said, thank you. I I think you need to know they're very expensive. These are not cheap for whatever reason. And uh, she said, no, we we still want to bless you with that. And a few weeks later, uh, it showed up in a wonderful box uh, from overseas. And uh, it was, it's this beautiful wabi-sabi bowl. And so I keep it in my office as a reminder that Phariseeism and legalism is when we're cracked is to get the clearest spiritual glue we can to try to put ourselves back together morally and turn our cracks the other way so no one sees it. So we give the best projection of ourselves, masks, legalism, works, uh, whatever it may be. But Jesus in the gospel is the opposite. And he says, your cracks are actually what make you beautiful. And the gospel is mixing those gold flakes in with the glue and actually saying, you may be cracked, but you're beautiful. In fact, you may be more beautiful because of the cracks and the repair that I've brought through the good news of the gospel uh, of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So that's why I love Wabi Sabi. That's why I've got this gold uh, lined 
bowl fixing these cracks here. And uh, one of my fears is that as I hold it and look at it, that I would drop it and crack it again. <laughs> so I'm going to put it You're very put carefully it back on the table here in my office. Uh, but that's the Wabi Sabi bowl that's here in my office. I, I feel like that really makes sense, even as we think about Jesus showing up uh, after the burial in, in his resurrected body, still having his scars. Yeah. Yes. Yes. The resurrected body still has scars. And yes, it's this incarnational biological wabi-sabi body. Wabi-sabi body. Dang. <laughs> it's so fun to say. It's so but fun. it's so theologically yeah. rich. It is so theologically rich and it continues to sit there because when I sit at my desk, my eyes kind of like are naturally pointed in that direction to say, I better live into this wabi-sabi bowl rather than try to live with the clear super glue of trying to put everything in the vase back together and hide the cracks in the against the wall so the guests when they come don't see it. And um, so- that's that's why this uh I guess this is uh, not really crap in Jared's office. This may be one of the more yeah, expensive yeah. things in my office, actually, which is why I'm going to put it back yeah. on the table again very carefully. If so you I don't can crack see it. him, he's like very gentle with, with his wobbly side. Like a little baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, JR, thanks so much for sharing that. And again, I think it's just so it's so brilliant uh in the reminder of that. And I think even the stories that we're hearing from pastors and from kingdom leaders. Um, just that, that we're privileged to. And even if you stop, if you stop and think about what stories have impacted your life the most in the last six months, my guess is that stories where redemption has become so huge. Yeah. Yeah. And, absolutely. And they become, they become the beautiful thing in our office and you know, that, or the story that we carry with us, um, just as an encouragement. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, if any of you listening out there, if you are in the Philadelphia area, you're on the north side of Philadelphia, we are recording from Lansdale, Pennsylvania. And uh, if you ever want to tour the office, you'd be vastly disappointed. <laughs> Dude, that's Doug awesome. always makes it sound like it's a museum. It's not. It's <laughs> it is just a an office on the third floor of my house. But if any of you are interested in a visit and you want to see the Wabi Sabi Bowl or you want to see the final four lanyard that I wore or yeah. some of the other things that are around, you know, the Spurgeon poster, other things that we've talked about, you're more than welcome to come join us, but, yeah. but just, you might be underwhelmed. We'll even treat you here. to lunch so. with uh, some, what is that sauce? What is that called? Like, oh, the Wabi Sabi. There's another, Oh, um, there's something that I happens just had in it sushi. At lunch. Uh, I just what had, is it I had sushi at lunch. Um, wasabi. Wasabi. Everyone, uh. everyone who's listening is like, wasabi, you idiots. Yeah. <laughs> it took us 10 times longer than everybody else at home. But wasabi. Wasabi. It, it, it is not wasabi. It's Wabi Sabi, although wabi it is sabi. close. It's okay. very close. So when Actually, we go to get we should sushi. Put, we should put wasabi in the Wabi Sabi <laughs> bowl. Then it would be a wasabi Wabi Sabi bowl. <laughs> We better stop while we're behind uh, we before we get too far behind. <laughs> we hope you guys enjoy the, the conversation we have today. <laughs> Tom Bernardo is a native of Brooklyn, New York who has lived on both coasts and various places in between. In 35 years of ministry, he has served as a staff pastor, youth pastor, church planter, and senior pastor. He holds a BA and an MDiv from Grace College and Theological Seminary, and a doctorate from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in the Chicago area. 
After more than 21 years as founder and lead pastor of Life Community Church, a church in the Fellowship of Evangelical Churches, or FEC denomination, Tom joined the staff of FEC in 2017 as the Director of Pastoral Development and Western U.S. Church Multiplication. He now lives in California, where his role is multifaceted, expanding FEC's presence west of the Rocky Mountains, providing pastoral support, and equipping young leaders in their theological development, which is a lot what we do here at Monday Morning Pastor and Kairos Partnerships. He's also the author of The Honest Guide to Church Planting, What No One Ever Tells You About Planting and Leading a New Church. It's a fantastic book that I picked up a few months ago and found it to be just wonderful. And as I talked to my editor at Zondervan in November about it, he made the introduction and here we are. Even if you're not a church planter, you are going to find this discussion to be deeply helpful and engaging. Enjoy this conversation with Tom Bernardo. Thanks, Tom, for your willingness to be with us here on the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast. Doug and I are super excited for this conversation, so thanks for being with us. Yeah, no, it's good to be with you, and it's always good to hang out with other people who are kind of going the same direction and wanting to talk about the same things. Yeah, that's great. Well, we loved your book. We want to have an opportunity to unpack that a little bit. Uh, as a church planter, as I mentioned before we started recording, I wish I had this when I planted. It would have saved me a lot of pain. And I think even recalibrating expectations mm-hmm. um, of what I should expect when I come into church planting. I went through all the trainings and I feel like they were very robust and helpful, but I just wish somebody had sat me down and said, listen, it's going to be harder than you think. And you did that in the book. So thank you for that. It was just wonderful. Yeah. Well, I, I kind of feel like I wish I had that too. And part of the scars that come out of not having that is part of what motivated this is to say, you know what, what I found out is, oh, you know, I wasn't alone. And this is, this is the majority of guys who are doing this experience, these kinds of things, but no one seems to want to talk about it, or at least it takes a while to get there. Yeah. And you really did bleed all over the page, which is wonderful. And that's one of the things Doug and I love about this podcast is it's not about how great everything is, but on the other end, it's not about just wallowing in our pain and Mm. feeling hopeless. It's that middle ground of, man, this is hard, but it's still worth it. And I think that really came through that hopeful tone, but it was uh, laced with realism. And well, uh, I really you know, appreciated and, that. And I, and I appreciate you hearing that because, you know, I work with church planters. I'm, a, I'm in the fraternity and you're never out of it when you're mm-hmm. in it. And, and I do think, you know, that I want people to understand church planting, starting a church is still the best way to reach lost people. I mean, it's not even close that statistically dollar for dollar, ounce for ounce, Starting new churches has how people come to know Christ more than any other thing, and it's by a long shot. And so we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but we want to say, well, let's not, let's see if we can reduce some of the casualties because the casualties are everywhere. And I've got good friends who are not in ministry anymore, and got good, I, I have good friends who don't even, who've walked away from their faith mm. after being church planters. And if we can do anything to help guys say, hey, you know what? Here's what it's really going to be like. So you're not caught off guard. So you, so it doesn't tank you entirely. So you have somewhere to turn when you're in the middle of realizing it, seeing that it's not entirely you, you know, that's going on. It's that then it'd be helpful to do that. Yeah. Well, and several of our listeners are church planners. Most of them are not. Uh, they're either pastors or even not pastors. But your book still applies to pastors and those kingdom leaders and those in ministry. So. 
Why is it that you think that ministry is so fraught with difficulty and hardships and loneliness? Yeah, I think I think there's a couple things that that contribute, and there's I guess you could say there's external factors, and then there's internal factors. The external factors. Well, let me start with the internal factors. I think we all carry around a little bit of a disease with us, and we talk about this in the book. And leadership kind of comes with an internal disease that a whole lot of us, I call the destined for greatness thing, which drove me in far more ways than I realized at the time that just says, I've been chosen by God. I'm special. When I do stuff, things work. And so we kind of go in with this, this expectation that says, oh, you know, I'm going to just do what I've always done in the ways I've always done it. I'm going to see the same kinds of results. And inevitably, it seems leaders get, get to the place, regardless whether you're planning a church or coming in as a leader in some capacity where all of a sudden the magic isn't there anymore. And you're not quite sure what to do with that. And so what you tend to do, what I did was I started, I mean, I was, I was desperate. I was, I was seeking God. I was asking what's wrong. I'm, I'm double checking my motives. I'm trying to see what's going on. And, and it exposed some stuff about my own theology, really, my personal theology about where my acceptance came from God, what it meant to be anointed by God or blessed by God, that it was attached to these external kind of expectations. When those things don't happen, all of a sudden you're left with a question mark that you never had before. Wait, what's the cause effect of this? Why is this happening? What does this mean? And we find ourselves kind of withdrawing and saying there's something wrong and I think right there is a problem that, that we're saying something's wrong when we don't realize that Jesus said from the very beginning how the kingdom advances and doesn't advance with superstars. It doesn't advance with the giant waves all the time. Most of it is very slow and incremental and imperceptible. And he's got ways of guarding his own glory so we don't steal it by doing it in ways that we don't get credit for. But we're not ready for that. So the, internally, we're dealing with that pressure and when we feel it, we just it, it just tanks us. I mean, it it exposes things. You don't know where to turn. You feel ashamed. You're, we tend to withdraw when that happens. But at the same time, there's this external thing that's happened. And this has really even been, I think it's increased in the last couple of decades, where especially in church planting, but in, in American church culture too, just we have this picture of what what church is supposed to look like when it's going well. And it's, and it, you know, we've got, we've got awards that are given out for the fastest growing churches and you show up on outreach magazines list and you, you know, that's what gets rewarded. That's get, who gets put on the stage. That's who writes the books. And we start to think that that's normative, that, that it's going to go a certain way. And so now we've, and the other thing is now we've got, we've, this is what we do in America. We reduce everything to scientific method. And we say, okay, let's re let's reverse engineer this thing from the success stories. Go back and say, okay, let's let's see what those factors are. We'll do the same kinds of things, the same kind of programs, the same kind of personnel, same kind of passion, and and it gets mixed because it's not just we're just we're not just trying to create widgets. We really do think God is in it. We want to see Him work, but then when it doesn't match that, the expectation we're left with only a few, a handful of alternatives for an explanation. Mm -hmm. And one, we don't like any of them. I'm, I am inept at what I'm doing. No one understands me. No one else is experiencing this. So there's something wrong or God, there's something wrong with God. You know, there's something wrong with his plan. None of those are pretty, very healthy, but we, it tends to have an effect of just leaders feel are, are some of those loneliest people on the planet. 
uh, spiritual leaders can even intensify that because you don't, you know, you know, we, we tell everybody, Hey, we want you to be honest. We want you to be honest with God and we want you to be honest with each other. But when you're a pastor, how do you be honest about with the people who are disappointing you? You know, how do you tell one of the sheep that another sheep has done you wrong? Now, you know, we're, we're too committed to integrity to do that. So, well, I can't tell them. So we don't, we either just blast our spouses and then put all this huge weight on them that they're not really intended for, or we just say, well, it's just supposed to be me and Jesus is enough. And so we just internalize it and we wind up feeling demoralized and that, you know, I mean, the statistics, everybody knows the statistics about depression um, and discouragement and failure and how people bail out. So you got, you were getting a double whammy coming from the inside, coming from the outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that that double whammy is so powerful because I, it almost feels like we all know this, but yet we really struggle to talk about it. And so like, even in the midst of, of experiencing those internal and external things, like, are there stories where like, you're starting to hear people begin to break out of that mold? Yeah, there are. And, and they've always been there, but I think that they're getting a little bit more, uh, legs. One of the good things that happens within the social media world is people can find each other a little bit better. And, you know, JR years ago did a seminar where he brought people his, the fail seminar that you did um, that, that, you know, people were just amazed that anybody would do that. Well, now, now that people are able to find each other and and I'll tell people this, I say, but you don't need to have that in order to find it. Here's what it takes. It takes somebody who gets the place. It, this is the analogy I use. You know how you, you see, you hear about um, a story about some formal party, uh, you know, where everybody's dressed in tuxedos and gowns and it's poolside and everybody's sipping champagne. And then somewhere along the line, it becomes this party where everybody jumps in, in the pool with their tuxes on. Well, th- you know, there, there has to be a moment where one person, and it might be alcohol aided, I don't know, but one person, <laughs> one person decides, I know, I'm going to jump in the water with my tux on. And when they do that, in that split second, everybody else makes a decision. And if other people, if other people jump in the water, it's a party. And everybody splashes and they all have fun. If no one jumps in the water, they all look and look at him. Then that guy's an idiot. Mm. Mm. And I, and I think it takes somebody being willing to say, kind of, kind of like Jesus said in the garden, I, I am, I am so vexed, man. I am hurting here. Would you come be with me? If, if one person would kind of trust God enough to say, I'm going to take a risk here. And I'm going to express who I, who I really am. I, and this is what, that's what happened with me. I got in with a group of guys and I just said, okay, look, I'm going to cut the crap. You know, I'm going to tell you what I'm really feeling. And I had a couple of people look at me really funny and not understand. But there were also guys who said, oh, really somebody else? Thank you. You know, and when people, when one, when somebody will start that, <laughs> And I would tell people, do that, find other people who are trying to do the, go the same direction as you, start that conversation. And if people don't get it, then thank them and go on their way. But the ones who do, those are going to become some of your lifelong friends. And that's probably going to be God's lifeline for your life. 
Yeah, that's awesome. And this is exactly why Doug had the vision to say, let's do a Monday morning pastor podcast, because, man, there are all sorts of pastors out there with the evil one is using that lie that says you're the only one. You're a freak. You got into this by yourself. You're going to have to get out of it by yourself. And that's one of those lies that we just say, we just feel like our role in the kingdom is to try to push back the darkness in that lie that says you're all alone. And you're doing that too, which is why when I read it, I said, oh, Tom's got to come on and unpack this. And, you know, certainly failure is something that, uh, I mean, people sometimes refer to me as the guy, the failure guy, the, the guy, guy who literally <laughs> wrote the book on pastoral failure. <laughs> but, uh, but earlier in the book, you write this amazing line. You say, funny thing about abject failure, it can be a powerful liberator. Right. I wonder if you can unpack that idea, because most people wouldn't say liberation <laughs> is what comes from failure. But unpack what you mean on that. Yeah, no, that's and, and it, uh, it comes right out of my own life because, you know, I come from a background like a lot of guys who uh, it was a performance based background in even my spirituality. You know, I mean, well-meaning pe- people put me in positions where they said you obey God, you do the right things. And God is more pleased. They didn't say it that way, but that's mm. what I, that's what I ingested, you know? And so when you fail in those settings and a whole lot of us have been in those settings, there's an immediate pressure to hide that mm. because, you know, because shame, it's a shame. We, we don't want to feel shame. We feel like a failure. And, and so what we tend to do is we cope with it in a couple of ways. Some of us self-medicate, you know, we'll find ways to just find something that's going to dull the pain. A whole lot of us just intensify our efforts. I mean, we just work harder and harder and harder. We figure I need to pray more. I need to work more. I need to sacrifice more. I need, I need to mobilize people more. If I could just be a little bit better at this, if I could just find the magic wand or the beans that I plant that'll do this, I'll see a different result. And so that becomes a prison. I mean, it, I'm in, I was imprisoned by that it, and it, no one else was putting it on me. It was just coming from within myself. I felt like I'd made commitments to God. I felt like I can't let him down because I had this idea that he had that expectation. I, I felt like there were a bunch of people. And, and here's the thing, you know, you're casting vision all the time as a leader. You're saying, we're going to take that hill. We're going to go, we're going to do this stuff. Everybody goes, boy, this guy knows what he's doing. Let's follow him. Well, then I, how do I turn to them and go, you know, I really don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm making this up as I go along. You don't feel like you can say that to them. So you have to guard and protect that. So you just, so you're imprisoned by the fear. You're imprisoned by the shame. And when somebody finally is willing to say, and this is the grace of God. I mean, this is, this is the whole gospel is that God takes us in our shamefulness. And it's not just poetry. He really means it like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to embrace you. I'm going to cover you, your shame. I'm going to cover you with my righteousness. If we can really feel that enough to say, that is absolutely true of me, regardless what my world would say, regardless what I would even say. And you finally say, okay, I'm just going to walk out with who I am. And then you begin to feel the protection of God in there to say, you know what? It didn't kill me. Huh? I did. You know what? Oh, and, and then you start to find there are other people around who are willing to say, yeah, me too. And you start dropping. And when you, when people start dropping masks, it is the most freeing experience. And so my, my best friends in the world now are people who we have made that commitment with each other. 
And we love each other. We're for each other. We respect each other. But we also know that we don't know what the heck we're doing. Mm. And, and if we act like we do, we just tag each other out. Like, what, what, what are you doing? You're pretend, what are you pretending for? Like, and, and so, we, if, so to say, I used to say this all the time to my church. I, I would just get up in front and say, okay, f- here's what you need to know if you come around here. And you, if you don't like it, then there are plenty of other places you can go. But we know your secret because it's our secret too. And your secret is you're an absolute hot mess. Now, we're not saying that to shame you. We're saying that say, come on in. Because God gives absolute freedom and acceptance and joy to hot. That's who he uses as the mess. And the fa- faster you admit it and I admit it, the, the more we can talk about our real hearts. And we can talk about real freedoms that come. We can talk about our addictions and our the skeletons we have in our closet. And when, when the door comes open to those and you get, and you expose those, then there's nothing else that you're scared of because what else can you do to me? I already have told you everything that there is about me. I already know that I'm a mess and yet I'm still accepted and given freedom. So there, so the freedom just floods out when that happens. And sadly, a whole lot has never experienced it, but man, it's liberating. So it's, it's interesting when, when you think about churches that really embody that, I, I what I hear you saying is that the, the pastor needs to embody that. For, the pastor needs to experience that first. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, it, we can't, we can't really sell brochures to places we haven't visited. And, and I think that's the, the place it starts. Cause I, you can, we can, people can give eloquent messages about the glory of God and the, and the gospel of Jesus. but. And I was a youth pastor before I was a pastor and before I was, and, and this was so true working with teenagers. I mean, they can smell a phony from three miles away. Right. And you knew that. So don't try to get up there and be hip. If you're not hip, don't, you know, don't put on your, the clothes they're wearing and go, Hey, say I'm one of you, you know? Well, the same thing is true for everybody. It's just, it takes a little longer to get there or notice it, but but the people in our churches, you know, they will respond. Now, here's the thing. There's a risk involved with that because there are some people who don't want that. There are people who have their image. They want their image. They're going to retain their image. And if you start exposing things about yourself, they go, wait, no, you're supposed to. I studied under Larry Crabb, and he used to talk about the difference between the coping model and the master model. The master model is you get up in front and you've mastered stuff and you say, uh, okay, here is how to do it do it how I do it and you will have results and you'll go and you can be like me as I'm like Christ. The coping model was one that said, I'm trying to figure this out. I stumble, I struggle. And, and I'm trying to cope with who I am. I'm trying to cope with my world. Those are the people you want. Those are the people who are really going to have transformation happen. The people who respond to that and say, I'm trying to cope too. Let's do it together. It's a huge difference in how we lead, but I, but unless the lead guy conveys that, um, there's only going to be limited amounts to what he can teach that people will follow. Mm, that's good. That's good. One of the, I, I'm a, I'm a metaphor visual guy. And one of the metaphors you used in the book was the idea of, of apricots or apricots. I'm not sure how you say it. Uh, what, what is it, Doug? I, 
I say you, apricots. Apricots, Tom. What, what do you say? I, I say apricots. Yeah, I, I think I go 50 50. I don't, I change it up because I get insecure when I get on the verge of saying the word. I, so, apricots or apricots, but, but you use that metaphor. <clears throat> Explain that a little bit and how that's poignant, not just for church planters, maybe not even just for kingdom leaders, maybe even just for all people. Talk a little bit about apricots, apricots. And the picture is that an apricot is, has, is one of the best fruits you can eat in terms of antioxidants. It, it's good for your skin. It's good for your uh, internal health, digestive system. I mean, it's just in, an incredible super fruit kind of thing. But I didn't know this until I studied it, that the apricot seed, you, must, you should never, ever open, grind up, in, ingest the, the seed of, the, of apricots because um, the, the internal um, chemistry inside the seed has this collection of things. And, and the, the most active ingredient is the active ingredient in cyanide. So if you, so if you, if somebody says, you know what, I'm just going to eat some apricot seeds, like we do other seeds, grind them up, do whatever you want with them. You do a dozen, a dozen of those, it can actually kill you. A full grown man can be killed by the contents of apricot seeds. And what that means is in this, in the same fruit, there is life giving nutrients and there's life stealing or killing um, effects. That is the same thing we have when, when, when we have, as humans, the gift of leadership. Leadership is necessary. It's essential when we, when we, test, when we do assessments for church planters or pastors. We're looking for leadership. It's been called the most uh, significant factor in, in the church in pastoring is do you have the gift of leadership or can you cultivate the gift of leadership? But leadership has got an evil twin. And I, I will say that I know this is true for me, but I think it's it's almost true across the board that leadership's evil, evil twin is arrogance. Be, because I, in order to say, hey, I can take us toward a preferable future, I can accomplish some things that haven't been done, you got to have a little bit of sense of self-confidence. But because we're fleshly people, because we're sinners at heart, uh, that, that breeds an arrogance that says, you know, I'm capable where other people are capable. I've got gifts other people don't have. There's a there's a hubris that comes with it, and unless unless we uh, we treat that, unless we subject that to radiation treatment under God's direction, I mean we've all seen examples of it. it it's why it's so common that guys who are seemingly externally successful, whether they're church planters or pastors or just leaders in general, they tend to breed um, a, an arrogance that just it it. it it just it bleeds through everything they do in how they convey themselves and how they present themselves and what they expect of people and what in how they take criticism in in you know in in how they organize and it's a it it'll it is it really will kill us and mm. it's killed some really good men because we don't we don't treat it so you've been in ministry 35 plus years so what do you know now that you wish you could tell your first year of ministry self Oh man. Well, you know, man, that's such a good question because frankly, I feel like I would tell that person, you don't know anything yet. <laughs> oh, you think, you know, you've studied the Bible, you know, as a, I studied the Bible young and got degrees and all that kind of stuff. And you think you, you, you know, but, but you don't really know the hearts of people that 
that people are um, complex beings, and you also don't know the heart of God. So you don't know you don't know really what people need, and you don't know how God works yet. Um, and let me focus on the second one there. You know that that God is going to defy your explanations and your prescriptions. That the Bible almost never gives prescriptions for how to do things for God. It gives descriptions. It, it tells stories. You learn principles, but but God does not do the same thing the same way twice. Um, he is sovereign in ways that you don't understand. And this has so much less to do with you than you think it does right now. I think I would say that to myself strongly, that you really think that that, that sermon series or those de- that decor in the, or that kind of music or that kind of discipleship program, or you keep looking for the magic bullet, you keep looking for the thing that works, you keep, you know, and you really think that that's going to be the biggest factor in how God works. And he's going to, he's going to surprise you so much. You're going to see people who are can't miss five-star athlete type recruits for spiritually who never go anywhere. And you're going to be people who you're going to see people who you don't give the time of day. You don't think they've got anything to offer and they're going to be the ones that God uses in significant ways. And I, and I would say to myself, and you're in that category too. You, you, you think that you are indispensable, but God doesn't need you. Mm. And you get, you get to go, you know, I hold heard an old expression, somebody who came back from um, a rough time out at sea and said, and they, and they made it and they said, we did it. We conquered the sea. And an old rugged sailor said, I said, said, you, ne- you never conquer the sea. You simply learn to ride her, her mercies. Mm. And I thought, you know, that's God's kingdom is that way. And God's character, and he's good and he's caring, but you don't, you don't master the sea. You don't master God's work. You just learn to ride his mercies. And then you're going to have stories to tell that you can't help but give him the glory for because you go, I never saw that coming. I, I never thought that would work. You know, I look what he did, even when I didn't think he was doing anything, even when my stuff didn't work, that's, I wrote his mercies and it was, and it's a much better story. Mm, mm, that's awesome. Tom, I just, I appreciate that. I mean, that phrase is like the picture of that. And even thinking about you know, 35 years probably sounds like a really long time to some of our brand new pastors, but, uh, you know, it's really not that long. I mean, it is, it is not, it is not a long time, but even as you think into, you know, 35 years of experience and having these, you know, riding these, these waves of mercy and, and even seeing the ways in which, you know, friends have bailed and friends have stayed and, the least likely have have been in a lot longer than we ever would have anticipated, and ones that looked like they were destined for greatness have just, you know, are selling tires somewhere. But what encouragement would you give to pastors this morning or this evening, or who are listening today? Yeah, I, I would say it's going to almost sound like I'm saying two opposite things. All right, the first thing is. The, the quicker you can get over yourself, the better. The, the, the quicker you can um, recognize that you are, um, you're not who you think you are, that it's not up to you, that, that you, don't, 
you don't have you don't really have anything more than anybody else has to do that you are you but you you're you get to be a foot soldier in a, in somebody else's army that's going to serve you well right now i i would say but then i would hasten to say this that at the same time understand something about how god is looking at you right now at this very moment that that you know your your church and my my church we never made any you know no one ever wrote any articles about us. We never made any lists of top 10 fastest growing this or that or whatever. But when you're feeling so discouraged, when you feel like, I, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know how long I can last at this. I don't think I'm making any, any progress or any impact. Hear the voice of God on some level, however you can hear it say, just get with him and hear him say that right now at this very moment, he is incredibly fiercely proud of you, that you are a trophy of his, that he, that he is so glad to have you be part of his team and part of his family, that he is with you and he's using you. And, and he can't wait to show you someday, maybe in, in heaven, I don't know when, but he can't wait to say, look what we did and look what you got to be part of. And in that moment, we'll all throw our crowns at his feet anyway. But but hear it now so to say that the investment you made now, that the, the backward steps you're taking, the fact that 50 people less are attending your church now than a year ago, or you wonder if you're going to be able to pay the bills, is all part of a journey that God is absolutely there, and he, and he considers you a rock star. And every day that you're in it, he celebrates with you more. Hear that, and if you can somehow hang on, find out that there are other people who feel it, get together with them, know that it's there. Um, you will not regret that. Mm, mm, that's great. Think about church planners specifically. How similar or different of encouragement would you give to them as opposed to all pastors? Is there something specific you'd want to say to church planners to encourage them? Today? Yeah, that's, it's interesting because when you're, when you're a veteran pastor, you deal with, a, you deal with the same issues, but in a different way. You know, everybody deals with the disappointments, okay? But there's a cumulative weight that happens on, on existing pastors that church planters don't always have because it still seems like it's all in front of them, you know? Um, I, I think I would say to church planters, um, capture your vision, make sure it's separate from the external measurables that everybody's telling you you need to look for. Things like how fast, when do you hit that benchmark? How do you get this? How do you get the core group to a certain size? How, what's your launch numbers? Everybody talks about launch numbers. And, and if I could say, okay, if I could wave a wand over you and, and say, I forget that, not that it won't, won't matter at, on some level, but in terms of the measurables that you're using right now to say, am I making progress? Focus on being with lost people speaking the language of the gospel to people, helping, helping the lost be found and the found be matured. And then sure, do it with some excellence, but don't, but don't make excellence your first goal, make authenticity your first goal, make, make your heart your first goal. And then the heart, have your heart connect with the hearts of other people. You know, you can't do that fast. You can't stand in front of 500 people. You, you might stand in front of 500 people on your launch day and say, man, this is fantastic. But you're not going to be able to be heart to heart with those people, and you don't have probably don't have the systems to have people around you do it. Focus on that. It, we talk about the difference between substantive growth and fast growth. 
And fast growth is seldom substantive growth. Make substantive growth. Yeah, grow. Sure. Absolutely. You know, reach people, but be with lost people and make substantive growth your goal. And, and again, you, you may have to answer to people who say, yeah, but you didn't hit your benchmark. Uh, but God will pay attention to that. And he's really the one you want giving you the final measure of your success. Mm-hmm. That's great. This has been great. One final question for you. 35 plus years of ministry. How are you still in it all these years? How come you're not a burned out statistic? What are some ways you've cultivated health through the decades that you're still in it with a vibrant heart that's attached and loving God and loving his church? Well, I will give you the caveat to say I'm still a mess. All right. Just hear, hear that. You know, yeah. I'm still a selfish man uh, who struggles with things. I still, you know, we talk about the fact that the destined for greatness gene is never put to death. It just lies dormant at best. Mm. Um, I have, uh, there are a couple things in my life though, that I can point to that have been, I, I can say probably with a, a decent amount of confidence that I would not still be doing what I do if those things weren't there. Um, one of them, and I'm talking about, I guess I'm assuming for a minute that we're talking about having an intimate walk with Jesus, but I shouldn't assume that, you know, mm-hmm. to say, because so it's so easy to just do stuff, to, to be a doer for him and not to be with him, uh, you know, learning to abide in the vine, getting, getting help with that is so significant to get, you know, to think, well, I'm the shepherd. I don't need to be shepherded is the biggest lie, you know? Um, so to have, people who I've invited and said, I need you to be my mentor and my spiritual advisor and director. Would you do that? So that's, that would be there. So I don't want to assume that, but I would say on a, on a horizontal level too, um, you know, I, I look at my wife and, um, and I, and I realized at some point in this, how can I say this without being sounding offensive? I, for a long time, I just figured, well, you know, I'm the spiritual leader of my wife and she's kind of like below me and I need to shepherd her and I need to bring her along. And somewhere it wasn't too long into it when I realized, wait a minute, I think she has insights that I don't have. How can that be? It's a really arrogant thing to think, but I did. And, and when I began to say, I need her to shepherd me, in ways I need to listen to her. I, I need, I need, you know, she is, she is my best spiritual advisor and encourager. And so I don't want to put her in the position of being my associate pastor, but she's got a different role. And so cultivate your relationship with your spouse. If you have one, mm-hmm. you know, and treat that person as somebody who is the voice of God in your life, not just a sheep to be shepherded, your first mm-hmm. disciple you know, mm-hmm. she is, she is my discipler in so many ways. Mm. And then I think along with this, I mentioned before uh, that I, I got so desperate. This came out of desperation for me uh, that I was, I was so lost in, in how to do this, that I just got together with a bunch of church planters. And I just said, Hey, forget it. I'm just going to tell you what's wrong with me. And from that group, I had a handful of guys who we found each other. And these guys became a brotherhood to me where we got together and we said, in fact, it was funny because we had a, eventually we had a pact that said, if any of us ever wrote a book, the others could all hunt him down and whack him with baseball bats because we knew we weren't, there's no such thing as experts. And then I wound up writing a book. I had to confess those guys, (laughs) you know, but 
How many how many bruises do you have from those bats on your back? Well, so. they're still coming. They're saying, "Well, at your back, buddy, because they're coming for you." And what's but it has now been twenty five years. Those guys get together once a month, and now we live in different, uh, literally coast to coast. So we do it through video now. But we we got together to say we are not here um, to to impress each other. We're, we're gonna. We're, we're going to stop each other when we start saying, oh, hey, look at this new program I got. We're here to, to just share the fraternity that, of failing people who are trying to move forward for Christ. And um, those guys, in, in the span of those 25 years, there's a guy in that group who's, who lost his marriage and he lost his church. He's now got a ministry to addicts, which is unbelievable. He's remarried, but he's, he, another guy had a nervous breakdown and had to step out of his role. Only one of those uh, guys is in the same church that he was pl- planting when we started. Um, but we get together and we say, this is where we're ruthless. This is where we say, how are you and Jesus doing? What, you know, it's not a matter of, are you struggling? What are you struggling with? Not a matter of, are, do you find yourself attracted to women other than your wife? No. When is how, when, when did it happen this week? What did you do about it? You know, when was the last time you looked at something you shouldn't on online? You know, so there's accountability there, but it's not just accountability. It's, it's a brotherhood that says, okay, I, I know that I'm not alone and I know that this is worth it. And we, and those guys in, become the face of Christ to me. They really do. And it, and my time with them, it, it doesn't substitute being with Jesus. It drives me to Jesus. I want to know him better because I see him manifested in them. I think that's an indispensable thing that has made a difference for me. Tom, I feel like we could probably spend the rest of the day just talking about that in itself. And, um, and even just the the way in which you carry yourself is such a blessing. Um, I feel like, I feel like I'm ready to be driven to Jesus right now. Um, and just the hunger and the passion that I see for health. And so we just want to say thank you so much for sharing this. Uh, we are deeply grateful for not just the book, but for the person behind the book, um, and for you being willing to share your scars, um, not so that others don't have to experience those scars, but so that others know that there's hope on the other side of those scars. So yeah, we're grateful and we look forward to chatting with you again soon. Look forward to it, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. JR, for a Mets fan, that guy was super hopeful. (laughs) (laughs) Tom told us he's Mets, Jets, and Knicks, man. That is a... Talk about failure. He's living the failure. Yeah, (laughs) seriously. (laughs) Him and Rich Filotis, they can really enjoy some time together. Oh, man. Maybe we should have a support group. (laughs) The Monday morning Mets I think I would just say switch fans switch teams be a fan of a different team but right. i don't there's know there's no shame like there's no shame <laughs> no but in all seriousness um i felt like that was just 35 years of experience um he didn't look 35 i mean no. he was very young but i there's a lot of wisdom that was packed in those answers and uh, we really could have kept that rolling for yes. a lot longer it yeah you're so right i m- my sense was he he has really paid attention over what the Lord has done in him mm. 
in the 35 years of ministry. Yeah, yeah. There were several things that that stuck out to me in what he was saying. He talked about learning under Larry Crabb about the master model versus the coping model. Is it like, here, I've done it, you follow me now? Or is it, hey, I'm, I'm just trying to figure this out. I don't know what I'm doing, but here are some things that may be helpful. And uh, I thought that was really, really helpful. I love the apricot, apricot, however we say it. Man, like what wisdom in that to think through, you know? And th- I think that's every like, I don't, I don't watch, uh, like the super superhero movies or anything, but right. isn't it always rooted in like your greatest strength could also be the thing that takes you down. Right. So in some ways that's the apricot, um, of, yeah, man, this is really good for you, but man, you eat the wrong part. You, you ingest that and it could kill you. I mean, cyanide, like think about that. Like it's amazing. We buy fruit from a store that has cyanide Inside in it. Natural it. Yes. cyanide. Yeah. That's amazing. What stuck out to you? Uh, I, I mean, definitely that, that piece was really, really good for me. I, I think because as a pastor, it feels like a lot of the work that we do has this deep significance and it is very significant work, but at the same time, it it almost felt like a reminder of the things that I really love to do can also be my undoing. Yeah. And that, good. that to me, I just thought was really good. I think too, I, I really appreciated the way that he, he talked about, um, just the encouragement of, man, you know, realize that like, don't take yourself so seriously, but take yourself seriously. I appreciated yeah, the tension, the tension that in said. that. Good. Um, I, and, and I think too, the other thing is just, I was actually having a conversation with, with mayor yesterday, just and about Mare's your wife, Mayor's my wife, yep. my spouse, and just how she has just discipled me so well. Mm. And my heart in these last, just specifically in the last three months of just her encouragement and even just the insights that I sense the Lord's giving her. So I just really resonated with that. Yeah, and that's great. That's personal, but really, really good. Yeah, that's good. And and you and I were talking um, about this and uh, man, just love Tom. We're excited to connect with Tom, whether it's recording another episode or just connecting with him like a cool dude. Really love <laughs> Really, him. really but, cool guy. But at the same time, like we also want to just acknowledge to our listeners that, um, you know, a lot of our our guests and leaders and pastors we have on come from different theological stripes and some are similar, some are different uh, than maybe what we are. And so we, we noticed just for some of you who are listening that, um, you know, we've introduced, introduced and interviewed uh, several female leaders and female pastors. And so you may have noticed a few more male pronouns than normal on, on the MMP. And, and so Tom may, may come from that. And, and so we honor that and those convictions that he has, we certainly have different uh, convictions on that. And so we want to make sure that our listeners know, that we honor and love to learn and listen from and uh, be led by both male and female leaders. And so, Doug, when people ask uh, you and I, should women be in leadership? Um, you know, the thing we like to say is leaders should be in leadership. And that runs two ways, right? right. Male or female doesn't matter, but please don't just put someone in there, a token, anything, you know, anything including a token woman who's not a leader. That doesn't serve anybody well. So that's why we always answer leaders should be in leadership. And so... Um, anyway, we just want to make sure that those who are listening, if you're a regular listener, you're not surprised by Doug and I and where we land on that simply because of those we have interviewed, but we're so grateful for Tom Mm -hmm. and his willingness to come on. And, uh, but we wanted to make sure that we just mentioned that very briefly here, um, before moving on, Doug, let's talk about questions and, uh, resources as we always do. Uh, so what would be some, uh, some questions that we could leave people with? Yeah, I, I really, I really appreciate, 
uh, one of the things I've been noticing in the last couple of months that I feel like the spirit's leading in me is, you know, who are the people that I can have honest uh, conversations with about what's actually happening internally and externally within my life? And so that's the question. Who are two people that you can have those honest conversations with? And then the second follow-up is when is the last time you've had a conversation? And if it's more than a month, you should probably have a conversation. Mm, mm, that's good. That's good. How about you? Yeah. Two questions came to my mind. Um, again, I'm back to the apricots or apricots. This is going to drive me nuts. I don't know how to say it. <laughs> I feel like we need a fourth that's, party. That's super fruit. Yeah, it is super fruit. <laughs> but but uh, talking about the apricot and the idea that like, what are my apricot seeds? Like, what are the things that if I ingested- That's good. Could could kill me or make me sick, at least if it didn't, didn't kill me in my leadership. And so, you know, how would I know that? You know, do I have people in my life or some healthy parameters around me saying, no, 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 no you're getting extra close to that seed. Don't ingest the seed. So that's that's the the first question that I had. And then the second one was there were so many wisdom bombs, so many things um, that Tom unpacked. So just to challenge our listeners, which truth did you need to hear and receive the most based on what Tom said? And whatever it is, I just want to encourage you wherever you're at, if you're on the treadmill, maybe hard or on the road. Um, but if you're at a place where you can write it down, write that one truth down right now. Just write on a piece of paper or the note section of your phone. Uh, and I want to I want to encourage you to share that with someone else uh, sometime in the next week. It could be a friend, a spouse, uh, someone in your congregation, another pastor. Maybe you post it on social media, whatever it may be. But share that truth with someone else because I just find that when I have truth and then I share that truth with someone else, it becomes even more real to me when I'm passing that on to others and they can benefit from it as well. So, and then of course the resource we want to leave you is Tom's book. And again, the name of his book is the honest guide to church planting. What no one ever tells you about planting and leading a new church uh, by Tom Bernardo. It's published by Zondervan. And some of you are saying, I'm not a church planner, dude, listen, um, some of it is church planner specific, but there is some stuff in here um, that is actually really good, even if you're not a church planner. So really want to encourage you to pick it up. Um, as you go, I just want to, there's, a, there's one quote that Tom uh, talks about in the Truth About Leadership uh, and chapter 11. I just want to leave you with this um, because Peter Drucker, I've used this quote many times when I work with pastors. I'm so glad he included it. Uh, Peter Drucker, who is the late leadership guru, he was widely uh, quoted as saying that the nation's four most difficult leadership positions are one, president of the United States, two, president of a university, three, the CEO of a hospital, and number four, pastor of a local church. And then he also said, not necessarily in that order. Whoa. I mean, Peter, Peter Drucker's not, he was not a follower of Jesus, but he studied leadership systems and found the local church to be really difficult. So that's why, Doug, you and I have this passion to be here on this podcast to help leaders in one of those four most difficult callings to say, yeah, it is difficult, but it is worth it. It is worth and it. And so with that, Doug, send us out with a final closing word or benediction. Yeah. yeah so pastors and leaders, may you live into the fullness of how loved you are by God. May you recognize that it really doesn't matter all that much in what you do, um, but that God is at work in you, and that is a gift. And may you also rest in the fact that success sometimes doesn't look like success that the world calls you to, but sometimes it looks like being faithful. In fact, all the time it looks like being faithful. So may you go in the knowledge that you are loved by God and that you are called to something that is sacred. 